This video shows us that the ascended king is restoring his enemies into image bearers through the witness of restored image bearers. The last time I preached was in Uganda, and I received three chickens at the end of my sermon. So we'll see if I do a good enough job. I don't see any chickens right now potentially being given, but uh, anyways, we'll, we'll see how I do today. <clears throat> We're going to continue with our series in Acts today, and so turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 28. Genesis chapter 1 through 27 and 28. I want us to see how Luke is thinking Old Testament theology as he's showing what the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit through the church is doing on the earth. It says this in Genesis 1, So God created man in his own image. In the, he created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Note the theology in this passage. Humanity was created to need God's blessing in order to accomplish their role as image bearers. Humanity's role was to multiply and be numerous with the goal of filling the earth. And humanity's role was to bring the whole earth under God's rule. So if we move forward just two chapters, we now have the forsaking of that calling. We have the rebellion of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. That they disobeyed the command of God not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and instead set their hearts in rebellion against him. Now the image of God in humanity is not marred at this point, it's not lost, but humanity on its own cannot restore itself as the king's representatives. Their hearts are set against the king. Now instead of crushing humanity like any authoritative king would have the right to do in his kingdom, God set in motion a story of restoration for his very enemies, the enemies who threw off his rule, accused him of withholding blessing, and who believed their established government was best. So how does God accomplish restoring his enemies to become full image bearers again? Now I do want you to turn with me, if you can, Genesis 22, verse 16 through 18, and it'll be on the screen. Genesis 22, verse 16 through 18. This is God talking to Abraham after Abraham was commanded to give your only son, sacrifice him. So he does so in obedience. God stops the knife, provides his substitute sacrifice. And then the Lord says this, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Note the continuity from Genesis chapter one. We see the restoration of blessing in order for humanity to accomplish its role. We see the restoration of multiplying. Look at the word numerous in this passage. And we see the restoration of ruling. Look at the phrase, possess the city gates of their enemies. There is continuity here, but there's also something that's shifting. 
Notice the future tense of this, of this uh, phrase in the last part of our section. It says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. We're looking to the future. That is a future offspring that will bring restoration. It's yet to be fulfilled. And there's also a condition. Because you have obeyed my command. That future restoration through a future offspring, we have hints here that it will come about through obedience to God's word. So let's turn now to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 3, and we'll have verse 23 and 38 on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 21 to give us a bit of context. Luke chapter 3, and I'll be starting in verse 21. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Verse 23, As he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old, and was thought to be the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. Verse 38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. God's answer for the Genesis 3 rebellion is a representative from the line of Adam, an offspring of Abraham. This Jesus is greater than Adam, for Adam was the lowercase s, son of God. Verse 21 tells us Jesus is the uppercase, the only begotten son of God. Yahweh himself made flesh. Jesus is the answer for the Genesis 3 rebellion because he is that representative to be able to restore humanity to become image bearers once again. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 44 through 50. Again, it'll be on the screen for you if you're tired of flipping pages. Jesus told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. Think Genesis 1, Genesis 22, Luke 3, now Luke 24. This representative of Adam, of the line of Abraham, the only son of God, He is the one to perfectly fulfill God's word in its entirety through his death and resurrection. So notice that phrase there, must be fulfilled. Jesus did that. And therefore, Jesus, as the perfect image bearer, is now qualified to restore God's enemies to become image bearers. And we can see what this will become for the disciples Keep thinking about continuity from Genesis 1. 
The restoration he brings is for all the nations. Think over the whole earth. The restoration he brings is empowerment. Think the concept of ruling. And the restoration he brings is multiplying. That is, we will see through witness. And as if Luke wanted to remind his readers that the focus of this particular passage at the end of his gospel is about image bearing, he, has, uh, he records Jesus blessing the disciples. And he blessed them. Not because Peter sneezed, okay? It is a theological, intentional word to say, Jesus blessed them that you will be able to carry on now this restored place as image bearers. You will be able to function in this role. We need to remember Genesis chapter one and see that this takes place again on this renewed community. Okay, that was a long introduction. Turn with me to Acts chapter one, verse four through 14. Acts chapter one, verse four through 14. And it says this, while he, Jesus, was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The ascended king is restoring his enemies into image bearers through the witness of restored image bearers. Luke repeats the narrative of the ascension. He ends his gospel with Jesus ascending and he starts the book of Acts, his second volume of theology with the ascension also. So we would, be, we would do well to pay attention. Why would he emphasize this? The ascension is the heavenly statement of Jesus's full vindication. He was in fact the righteous one, the only son the Son of Man, the Messiah, and he accomplished what the Father set out for him to accomplish. As fully man, he bore the sin of the world, and as fully God, he bore the wrath for that sin upon the cross. He resurrected because death could not hold him, and now he is God's promised king over the whole earth, able and willing to release his salvation to the ends of the earth. Amen. Tim mentioned last week that Luke's first sentence in the book of Acts implies that Jesus is going to continue his work. 
Luke writes, I wrote the first narrative Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach. If Jesus is ascended, how is Jesus going to continue his work when he is now at the right hand of the Father? The answer for that is, he does it by the Spirit in and through the church. So much is the ascended Jesus identified with the ongoing work of the church that when Saul on his way, the persecutor Saul on his way to Damascus to continue his persecution, he encounters the risen Lord, the ascended Christ. And he says, Jesus says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people, persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting me? This is the presence of Jesus among his people. He is present by his spirit. Jesus does not ascend to heaven and hope for the best. Man, I hope they don't screw it up. He ascends to heaven and continues to manifest his complete authority, his perfect love, his immeasurable grace, his victorious salvation in and through his church by the Spirit. What is more, Luke's mention of the ascension guarantees Jesus' return. He has the right to return and claim the earth and all people as his own because he is exalted to the Father's right hand. History is already written. And Jesus is coming again. Brothers and sisters, his ascension is your guarantee that the work is done. That believing in him is enough for your restoration in the image of God. It is a guarantee that he is enough to accomplish his work through you on the earth. And it is a guarantee. His ascension is a guarantee that he is coming again. And your suffering and your labor and your hope is not in vain. It's not up to you. It was never up to you. You could never be good enough, nice enough to be saved. You could never be zealous and disciplined enough to accomplish God's work on the earth. And the glorious end of the story is not something that you could ever change or alter. The ascension guarantees all of that to happen. And so now we have confidence in the work of Jesus that is going to continue. Let's look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Beloved, witness of the ascended king to everyone. Do you hear the echoes of Eden, the echoes of Genesis chapter 1 in this statement? You can hear, fill the earth and subdue it, but we see it as a witnessing to the ends of the earth. This is the restoration of the initial plan of God that his people, his image bearers would subdue the earth under the, under the rule of the glorious creator king. Now here, subduing is through witness. There was no army with weapons, no physical revolution. Instead, there was a ragtag group of uneducated people that had seen their, their savior die on the cross, rise again, now alive, soon to be ascended creator king, and they receive a commission to just go tell people. 
and Jesus promised to move in power through the telling of people. Now, what is this witness? You don't have to turn here because you guys have been flipping a lot here. Luke 24, verse 46, tells us that this witness is that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Sharing the gospel means witnessing to humanity's sinfulness, Jesus' death on their behalf, that he has been victorious through his resurrection, and that all can receive forgiveness by believing in his name. Now, I've labeled or described all my points in this sermon as witnessing of the ascended king. And the reason for that is because humanity's accountability to God for sinfulness, the justification for that is that God has every right to rule and reign upon the earth. And we see that Jesus' ascension establishes him, it vindicates him, and shows that he is Lord of all, and all creation is to submit to him. Therefore, all humanity is accountable to God because we are all created as image bearers and have fallen short. And so our ascended king, our direct declaration of Jesus as Lord, means that we are all accountable for our sin. And yet this same king that would hold us accountable is the same king that died and would rise again. Gracious king seems like an oxymoron, and yet we see it within Scripture. You'll hear variations of this as you read through the book of Acts if you're able to do the Bible initiative uh, that we have set. Various ways in which the gospel is shared. And so what is the effect of witnessing? And you don't have to turn here. I'm going to list three different verses, but I want you to see this gold in Scripture. The effect of witnessing. Acts 6 verse 7 says, So the word of God spread, and the Greek word there is oxano. The disciples in Jerusalem increased. The Greek word is plethuno. Greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 12.24 says, But the word of God spread, same word oxano, and multiplied, the same word plethuno. We can see this pattern moving forward in the book of Acts of the effect of sharing the gospel. Now look at this. Luke used the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Luke used that as his reference point for his Old Testament theology. And so if we look at Genesis 1.28, we're going to go back there and, say, and see that it says, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, oxano, and multiply, plethuno, fill the earth and subdue it. What Luke is showing is that we as restored image bearers, as we witness of the resurrected Christ, as that word of God goes forth, we now fulfill our role as image bearers to be fruitful and multiply. Now, that initial mandate was that families would be created and spread over the entire earth. That mandate still exists. Families still exist. And yet now we have this restoration from the place of being enemies to the place of being full image bearers that as we share the gospel, now people are multiplying as image bearers. 
That word is running swiftly and being glorified, as Paul would pray in 2 Thessalonians 3. During much of my Christian life, there were two groups of believers. There were super-Christians that shared the gospel, and there were those like myself that kind of cheered them on, but maybe with a little hesitancy, like, cool man, just don't be awkward. The book of Luke and Acts shatters that kind of divide. That if this is about image-bearing, then it's about being a restored image-bearer in God, and that normal Christianity is about witnessing. We are called to witness to our neighbor, and we are called to witness to the nations. I am called to witness to my coworker and to the Muslim tribe in Africa that has no access to the gospel. That's not super-Christianity. That's not for the really zealous. That's for restored image-bearers. That's for you and me. We need to allow the word of God to dictate who we are and what we do. What must be emphasized here is that verbal proclamation of the gospel. Verbal witness is the only thing that will save people. Being a witness means sharing verbally. Nobody gets saved when you're a nice person. There are a lot of really nice Muslims, really nice Mormons. Nobody gets saved when you are a nice person. They get saved when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and faith is produced in agreement with that and they call upon the name of the Lord. That's the only way that somebody is saved. That's convicting for my heart because that's like the awkward moment. I really prefer to just be the nice guy. It's a lot easier there's a lot less conflict, a lot less awkwardness. But that person cannot be saved unless I share verbally about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the thrust here of Acts. At LCF, we have created two teams of people to help us with this task. We have our LCF global team. And this team exists to champion unreached people groups. You may have heard me say just a couple sentences ago, I'm called to witness to the unreached tribes of Africa. I'm not in Africa. So how does that work? LCF Global helps us to send missionaries from our congregation, to partner with existing missionaries, to facilitate short-term trips, because we want to help our congregation connect to witnessing to the ends of the earth. If I'm in liberty, I can't witness, but I can send. I can pray. I can give to missionaries. That's not super Christianity. That's just me being an image bearer of God, understanding his heart for him to seek and save the lost. It's not a matter of if I should support a missionary, it's how much. It's not if I should pray for the nations, it's when can I create a time to pray for the nations. I love that Luke normalizes this because it shatters my paradigm that God, let me be who you created me to be. And that oftentimes means forsaking some of the other stuff that our culture invites us to that might be really fun or pleasurable. It's much more fun to spend 50 bucks a month on XYZ than supporting a missionary for $50 a month. 
Let's let the word of God dictate who we are and experience the joy of what it is to be restored image bearers partnering with our ascended king. Second, we have our LCF local team, which was created this past August in order to champion local witness. So this team exists to help train in evangelism, partner with local ministries, and create evangelistic DNA in all of our ministries at LCF. Brothers and sisters, normal Christianity is about working towards witnessing to my neighbor, to those on Independence Avenue, to populations in Oklahoma like our true seekers did, and to the unreached throughout the world. This is normal because we are restored image bearers. Let's jump to verse 14. It states, They all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So people of God, witness of the ascended king from the place of prayer. Now this phrase sounds a bit strange because the place of prayer, you're talking to God you're either by yourself or you're with other believers. So what does it mean to witness to the, of the ascended king? But Luke Acts shows us that God ordained prayer to be one of the main battlefields for the hearts of people. Prayer for witnessing is an acknowledgement of our inability and a declaration of his promises. So a prayer in Acts 4 says, And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. This is the result of prayer. And we're not just praying for our own boldness, we're also praying for opportunities. Paul asked the church at Colossae to pray for a door to open for the gospel to go forth. And when we do that, God answers. Watch what he does. Start scheduling a time of prayer in your home and set it as a priority. Pray for the salvation of your children, of your neighbors, of your co-workers. Pray for the team in Western Asia or find another country that the Lord burdens you with and stand for them because you were created to do that. Consider having an intentional time of prayer once a month with your small group. Just praying. Maybe shorten the the potluck and the fellowship time a little bit, and we can add in a little bit of prayer. And watch what God does. Pray for your city. Pray for family members that don't know the Lord. Pray for missionaries that you're connected to or that our church has sent. And watch what God does. Take one step toward a consistent lifestyle of prayer. Recently, a teacher in our congregation relayed uh, to me a massive answer to prayer. Uh, he's the faculty sponsor for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at a school, uh, at a local school, and he recently felt the rigidity and legal confines of being a Christian group in a public school. Now, this teacher wanted to be able to use club time for the FCA student leadership to meet, but this was met with an administrative no because of perceived legal constraints. There were many people praying with him that God would move and specifically move through FCA at his school. The Fellowship of Christian Athletes is not only an opportunity for strengthening of Christian students, but also it's an opportunity for the gospel to be shared through these students. So after uh, a God-ordained opportunity with the principal one morning, 
and an emboldening of this teacher to overcome the fear of being an imposition. Those are his words. He stood up for what he believed were his legal rights of the students. The principal was cooperative and pursued the necessary legal advice and granted the teacher's request. Since then, the student leaders are meeting on Wednesdays in order for them to uh, prepare for their meetings. They've been excitedly working to build their chapter of FCA at their school. This is what prayer does. It not only emboldens us to share the gospel, but it also provides opportunities. The doors are flung open so that the gospel can go forth. This kind of prayer is not cute prayer. This is talking to the ascended king, the one who took on all sin, the one who took on death, who stands at the right hand of the Father, the perfect image bearer of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord of heaven and earth. This is the one we're asking to do things. That's our confidence in the place of prayer. God is going to do it, and he's ordained prayer to be one of the means by which that happens. Let's read verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Beloved, witness of the ascended king in the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples are already saved at this moment in Acts chapter 1. Their salvation moment in which they became temples of the Holy Spirit was in John chapter 20. It says, and Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit already dwelling in them. And yet, the book of Acts shows us an ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit that is different from a salvation moment. Jesus would call it in Luke 24, a clothing with power from on high. This is something that occurs repeatedly through the New Testament. And it's something that the people of God asks asks for. Luke is the only writer of the New Testament when he records the Lord's Prayer. That he says at the end, how much more will your good father give And Matthew writes good gifts to his children. But Luke writes, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. It would be a strange occurrence for me as an unbeliever, one, to call on God as Father. But if I already am a temple of the Holy Spirit, for me to ask God for the Holy Spirit, that request in Luke 11. But if I am saved, and if I'm looking and reading Luke Acts right, That there are moments when I need the Holy Spirit to come and give me power to witness. I'm going to ask God for the Holy Spirit. I need that and God will fulfill that. And we'll see that pattern occurring throughout the book of Acts. This power is the ability to boldly witness of Jesus. It replaces fear with joy. And it's something that God is faithful to do. A couple of years ago, Joel, myself, and Boaz took a road trip out to Indiana, where one of my brothers lived at the time. And we always start our road trips, well, we always start our road trips by getting enough candy, and we always start our road trips with getting enough coffee, and then we hit the road. And then we pray. And this time, we kind of did our typical prayer, Lord, 
protect us, bless us, uh, encounter us on this trip. But this particular time, I asked God to surprise us. I said, Father, I would like you to surprise us on this trip. And I don't know why I asked that. And I qualified that by also stating, even if that means sharing the gospel with somebody. I'm not sure why I prayed that, and I didn't reflect on it at the time. But about an hour and a half later, we stopped. Wagners have small bladders, TMI. (laughs) We were at a subway somewhere along Highway 36, and as we parked, I noticed there was an LDS church, a Mormon church beside the subway that we were going to. And again, I didn't really think much about it. We decided that Joel was going to go in, grab us a sandwich. I was going to take my uh, Boaz, my two-year-old son at the time, uh, to a little field where there were some large round hay bales behind the church. And so we went behind. We had some fun playing on the hay bales. Took about 10 minutes so he could get get his wiggles out. And as we were coming back, our car was on the other side of the church. Uh, We had to go past the church. But at that time, there was a group of about, uh, there was a group of six people Six young people that were well-dressed, big smiles, and I thought, these are Mormon missionaries. These are Mormon youth on their mission. Man, I should share the gospel with them. But I thought, we're on this really long trip, and I really want to get going. And so I made a pretty wide berth. I didn't want to engage. I was tired. I had a two-year-old son. I was hungry. Made the wide berth around. And then God, in his graciousness, had one of the young women call out, hey, can you take a picture of us? (laughs) All right. So I walked over. I was given a phone. I took some pictures of these youth. And I thought, okay, that's it. We're going to go to the car. We're going to hit the road. We had another six and a half hours to go. And she said, oh, she said, is that your son? I said, yeah. And she said, what's his name? I said, Boaz. She said, oh, that's a great name. Isn't that in the Bible? And I thought, here we go. And that just led to this conversation ordained by God from the place of prayer in which Boaz and I, I don't even know how much Boaz could say at that time, two-year-old, Boaz and I were there engaging with these Mormons about the gospel, about what we believed. And God took in that moment a heart, a selfish heart, a heart that really just wanted to get on with the trip. And by his grace said no. And he led me to fulfill what it means to be an image bearer of God and to bring words of life to the spiritually dead. In fact, in that moment, uh, one of the women that, was, uh, that I was engaging with She had said, well, yeah, we believe that faith in Jesus is what saves us and that what we do, baptism and works, comes out and flows from faith in Jesus. And I thought, that's not true. And I said to her, well, you may preach that, but you don't actually believe that and you're lying to people. Now, I'm not one that typically confronts, I'm... I'm, pretty introverted, uh, non-confrontational person. And yet in that moment, the Lord was able to grace me with his Holy Spirit to call out what needed to be called out. Because if you drill down into Mormon theology, it is not the same gospel. It is not salvation by faith in Christ alone. It is salvation by faith in Christ, who's not really fully God, and then a whole lot of these other things, such as getting baptized into the Mormon church. And without that, you're not saved. 
Much of the same jargon is used, but it's not the same gospel. And I told her, you're lying to people. And we have a different gospel. And in that moment, that clarity of thought, that clarity of speech, that's what the Holy Spirit does. When we ask him to move, he comes with power because Jesus cares about saving people. He gives clarity of speech in that moment because he wants her heart. And that is the power from on high. I want to invite uh, Brian and Joel to come up. When Tim was preaching through the book of Haggai, the Lord impressed upon Joel the lyrics for this song. And the lyrics of this song tell of God accomplishing his purposes and that these purposes are the promise of a return of God's people to glory. It's a song that has a cry in our hearts to partner with God, to stir us up into who we are created to be as image bearers. Because God is shaking the nations and he calls us to be a part of what he's doing. You can stay seated at this time as they share this song. The lyrics will be on the screen and I encourage you to engage with the Lord and let this minister to you.